0: Welcome to New Books in European Studies. I'm Tim Jones, and in the second of three podcasts leading up to the Dutch election on March the 17th, I'm joined today by Marijn Oudenhampser, author of The Rise of the Dutch New Right, an intellectual history of the rightward shift in Dutch politics, published in September 2020 by Routledge. Since the 2008 financial crisis and the 2015 refugee emergency, you can hardly move for books and commentary on the rise of the nativist right in Europe and the US but these rights are not all alike. Among the most intriguing aspects of this insurgency has been the contrasting social conservatism of the new right in Spain and Italy versus that in Germany, the US, and since Marine Le Pen took over from her father in France. But this is not as new as you may think. The canary in the coal mine for this type of new right politics was in the Netherlands, and the rise in 2002 of Pim Fortone. This openly gay Marxist convert to conservatism made the then-unusual case that freedoms only recently wrestled from one religion, Christianity, now needed protection from another, Islam. In his study of Fautun and his successes, Dr. Odenhamser makes the case that they are less original than they look, and that, quote, the conservative interest in feminism and gay rights is largely a function of their opposition to Islam, end quote. Fautun, Geith Wilders, Ayan Hirsi Ali and Thierry Baudet are, he says, quote, part of a larger and longer conservative wave, with its origins in British neoliberalism and American neoconservatism. Marijn Oudenhamser is a sociologist and political scientist at the University of Amsterdam. This is his first book in English. In Dutch, he published The Conservative Revolt in 2018 and Socialism for Beginners in 2019. Marijn, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Thanks, Tim. Very happy to be here. Well, this book is full of ideas and history, and I'd like to let you set out your thesis. um, But I'd like to start with one central point or or framework for for the discussion. And that's the swerve to the right inside the liberal VVD party in the 90s under Fritz Bolkerstein, and how the VVD's return to the center-right led to the Forteum Revolt and then to Wilders. In other words, it was what you call in the book a failed palace revolution that led to the revolt C- can you take us through this argument
1: uh yeah yeah let me m- perhaps begin by by um pointing out that the common argument in in the literature on the rise of right-wing populism um is that it it is something that developed from the margins to the mainstream uh it mm-hmm. first arose in in rather marginal parties and and then was was copied and accommodated by the by the mainstream parties um, and another uh, common argument is that it, it it's something that arose from the bottom up as kind of marginalized sentiments uh, under the general population that were then kind of voiced by new entrepreneurs and what I'm doing is I'm making the opposite argument um, uh, and that it it first emerged uh, in the mainstream, and uh, rather than just a kind of a, a development that uh, arose from the bottom up, it was also something that was very much uh, mobilized uh, top down by intellectuals and politicians, and uh, that uh, gave rise um, to uh, a new opposition, a cultural opposition in politics. So, what you have in the Netherlands. Uh, is that uh, in the 1980s, uh, you see uh, the rise of a kind of free market thought in the Netherlands and a, a shift to the right in politics. Um, but uh, within the more uh, conservative wings of, of the, the the mainstream uh, parties, especially the right-wing Liberal Party, VVD day and uh, the Christian Democrat Party, uh, there is uh, ample discontent. They believe that the Netherlands... Uh, has not gone far enough Uh, and that in comparison to Reagan and Thatcher, uh, the Netherlands has missed the boat in making a a strong shift to the right. Uh, What you see happening uh, in the 1990s um, is that uh, leading figures of the center-right, Fritz Bolkestein, the leader of the right-wing Liberal Party, the VVD, start uh, promoting a new cultural agenda. They point out that uh, the presence of immigrants in the Netherlands is uh, a, a real fundamental problem, uh, that Islam cannot be reconciled with the West and that we need to defend Western values uh, and um, that national identity has been neglected uh, in the mm-hmm. face of globalization. And these are the major themes uh, that the populist right uh, will, will uh, uh, develop, will, will uh, base itself upon later on. But they are already developed by the mainstream right in the 1990s. Um, and the thing is, is that um, these right wing figures were never uh, uncontroversial within their own parties. There were also centrist tendencies in their parties, so that's why I call it a, a failed palace revolution. So Bolkestein uh, is is in in a continuous battle with the more centrist uh, figures in his party, and he leaves uh, at the end of the 1990s to become European Commissioner for the internal market, and it is at that point uh, that. Uh, the right-wing Liberal Party, VVD, now the, the biggest party in Dutch politics, um, uh, is no longer covering its right flank. And uh, The common analysis is that this has given space for right-wing populism to emerge. Uh, first Pim Town and then Geert Wilders, who was the assistant of Fritz Bolkestein. And what I show in my book is that both the ideas and, and in some cases the, the very people and uh, that formed the core of right-wing populism, came out of the mainstream right.
0: Isn't this quite a, a typical phenomenon, though? Um, I mean, in the UK, Enoch Powell came out of the Conservative Party. In the US, you had Pat Buchanan coming out of the Republicans, George Wallace out of the Democrats. And in Spain, Santiago Abascal coming out of the PP. Is, is this not a... In fact, wouldn't it be a very unusual and rare thing for uh, a populist right or far-right party to emerge from nowhere? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think that there is a a fundamental difference between the Anglosphere in this respect uh, and and continental Europe, and this is due to the differences in in, uh, uh, party systems. So on the European continent, the rise of right-wing populism has generally been depicted as contained to right-wing populist parties. Hmm. Uh, think of of Heider in in Austria, uh, and think of the the Flemish uh, Bloc in in, hmm. in Belgium. Uh, so uh, all the, the 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 basic literature on right-wing populism assumes that 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 is really if you want to look at right-wing populism, you need to look at at right-wing populist parties, you study their manifestos, you look at at, uh, the electorate of right-wing populism. Uh, But you don't look uh, at the mainstream right, Uh, you don't look at uh, journalist intellectuals uh, that have uh, fomented these ideas that that, uh, became the core of of the right-wing populist program. So uh, the, the, this argument is actually quite controversial uh, in the Netherlands. And when I uh, presented this book in, in the Netherlands, it was uh, it, it immediately sparked a, a huge uh, scandal in the press because I, uh, yeah, I, I basically uh, demonstrated in the book that center-right leaders uh, were very much instrumental. Uh, to uh, to the rise of right wing populism, and this is not at all a, a common sentiment in the Netherlands.
0: Right, okay. Uh, it, it, very interestingly in the book, I mean, you, you have these two uh, chapters, one on the neoliberal strand and one on the neoconservative strand, and you describe a, uh, quote, a complex and often contradictory fusion of neoliberal and neoconservative ideas, unquote, on the Dutch New Right. And, and the attempts by Thinkers like uh, Paul Cliteur and Barty Sprout to try and fuse them, and I guess Balkstein tried to do the same thing himself. Do you think trying to marry those two traditions is something that is pretty much doomed to fail in in any environment, or do you think there is a possibility that it that it could work?
1: Well, I think that in in uh, the United States and and the Great Britain um uh, the the, the right-wing tendencies that emerged in the 1980s were very much predicated upon uh, that combination. Um, so if you read Andrew Gamble on, on, on the rise of Thatcherism, um, uh, or uh, if, if you uh, look at descriptions of the rise of the U.S. conservative movement uh, under Reagan, uh, they all talk about this combination of cultural conservatism and, and, and free market thought. Um, and so that's, that's a, a very prominent uh, tradition there. I think in the Netherlands it's, it's uh, different um, because historically uh, the, there are no conservative parties in the Netherlands. There are the Christian parties who are culturally conservative, but socioeconomically uh, they are somewhat more progressive uh, than uh, in, in the American conservative tradition. And this is due to the fact that the Christian parties in the Netherlands, uh, they uh, emerged as emancipatory movements that, that uh, well, in opposition to a liberal elite. Uh, and the conservative intellectuals uh, such as Bartjan jan Spruit, who, who became uh, uh, the advisor of Geert Wilders and, and wrote uh, the first uh, party manifestos of, of the PVV, uh, the Freedom Party of Geert Wilders, uh, and, and also Paul Cliteur, uh, who is now the head of the think tank of Cherry Baudet and who is very closely related to, uh, um, to Baudet. Mm. They have had trouble uh, doing the same thing in the Netherlands um, because there is not uh, an electorate that really... Uh, supports that combination of of free market economics Mm. uh, and uh, cultural conservatism. So you see already that when Geert Wilders uh, started his his political career, he was first very much under the influence of Bart-Jan Spruit and wanted to imitate this American conservatism. But very soon he made a kind of a tactical shift and started to very much moderate uh, his socioeconomic discourse and that's why he's often described as socioeconomically to the left, but um, I would say he's more center-right
0: on that issue. Mm. Isn't this really a question of timing? I mean, um, neoliberal neoconservative uh, trends in the UK and the US were <clears throat> from the late 70s and the 80s when political uh, sorry, social attitudes were different. Whereas, I mean, look at look look at Trumpism. It, there's not there's accidental neoliberalism, neoliberalism that was imposed on him by Congress, you know, with, with, with the tax um, cuts. Mm-hmm. But his his economics are, you know, pure corporatism, protectionism, uh, and that tends to be the kind of right wing politics that, that that works. Now it works in Italy. It it, it, it it's working for Vox in Spain. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the ideas behind the Brexit party and the UKIP. It was, isn't, isn't this really a, a, a problem of timing for, for, for this kind of uh, marrying of neoliberalism and neoconservatism?
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there that the, the timing is very important for uh, what type of, of political program um, can achieve some kind of electoral success. Um, But the Netherlands is also um, on its own trajectory, which is not immediately comparable to uh, the UK and the US. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in the 1980s, there was not such a dramatic shift uh, as under Thatcher and Reagan. Uh, And that's why uh, this movement emerged in the 1990s that sought to both... um, uh, fundamentally changed the Dutch welfare state and, and uh, Dutch corporatism and, and wanted to step towards the Anglo-American model, as, as uh, Fritz Bogestein, uh called it, um, and at the same time to, to really move to a much more culturally conservative stance and undo the legacy of 1968. So mm-hmm. there was this... Uh, broad sentiment in the Netherlands that 1968 had never been beaten back. Uh, there was no counter-revolution, so to say. Um, and the progressive elites of the 1960s uh, had established a dominant position in the media uh, and, and more generally uh, in the, the field of, of uh, governance and, and, well, let's say, the, the higher educated professions
0: yeah you, you make this very interesting point that um outsiders like me could easily miss which is that the at the time of, of the rise of faton that the the target of the intellectual new right was less immigration in itself uh or, or the influence of islam and and more what they considered to be the onset of um decadence within the indigenous population for for, Tam, for example called for the political decolonization of the majority population. Is, was that a dominant strand at the time and is it, and is it one that is still there or has the passage of time moved on to a different type of theme, for example, with with uh, Wilders and uh, Bode? Uh,
1: thanks, Tim. Uh, I, I, that's a good question. I think um, I think it's very much there if you look uh, and, and, and the discourse has even radicalized, I would say, so uh, the argument in, that emerged in the 1990s and, and the 2000s was that progressive elites were, in fact, in control, though they were not politically in control, they were in control uh, through, through the media, let's say, and, and through, uh, through public opinion. Um, and that um, these progressive elites were very cosmopolitan and, and had a rather relativist perception of Dutch identity. Um, They were even um, prone to suffer from bouts of Hmm. self-hatred. And due to that fact, uh, and and this was very much a product of of the Second World War, when when nationalism came to be associated with Nazi Germany, so these progressive elites, um, they positioned themselves uh, really on the other side of the spectrum. Um, And the argument of the right in the 1990s was like, well, we need to uh, rediscover national identity um, because if else we have no chance of, of defending Western values uh, against uh, the rise of Islam and to integrate all these Muslim immigrants into a dominant national culture. Uh, and therefore, there there needs to be this entire campaign to to... Uh, set out Dutch norms and values which uh, progressive elites are, are too relativist to even um, uh, want to defend. Um, and mm. um, yeah, the the, arg- the broader argument uh, was also that uh, progressive elites had uh, not only had this cultural uh, relativism, but they uh, had built this welfare state uh as a, a consequence of the lessons of the second World War um, and uh, this was what what Town was talking about that that people were uh, had become used to a situation of dependence from the welfare state mm. uh, so you see really this combination of like people needed to be liberated from the tutelage of progressive elites and uh, there there are cultural relativism, uh, and uh, the welfare state institutions that uh, had made people far less independent than they could be.
0: Mm. With the cutbacks that there have been to, for example, disability benefits over the last 15, 20 years, and and the fact that Wilders in particular seems to want to appeal to uh, a white working-class audience, has, has that narrative does it mean that, that that narrative has had to change that, that that sort of um, lecturing narrative towards the, the, the quote underclass has had to change for, uh, for the new right now?
1: Yeah. You see a very significant shift uh, already in, in the middle of the two thousands, so to say. Mm. Um, so uh, for time at the beginning of his campaign, he said like, look, uh, and he not only said that he wanted to decolonize the people, but that, that, uh, that the poor should help themselves and that he thought that uh, some part of the population um, was, was really uh, worthless. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that they needed to be told to, to get their act together. Um, and yeah, that, that really changed under uh, Geert Wilders, who uh, developed a welfare chauvinist discourse. So uh, in, in essence, Uh, Dutch welfare state uh, provisions uh, are good, but it's the the immigrants that abuse uh, those provisions. And therefore, we need to be much stricter on uh, policing uh, welfare state abuse. Uh, And and that's a discourse that became very dominant in the 2000s. And that has led to uh, a recent scandal uh, at the tax service that has penalized parents for... Uh, well, the for abusing uh, welfare, like uh, subsidies for child provision, while well, they were not actually uh, doing that. So, and the yeah. government recently stepped down in uh, one month ago uh, because of this scandal. But it's really an outcome uh, of this uh, welfare chauvinist uh, discourse that has become so dominant in Dutch politics.
0: Yeah, I, on this same thread. Um the book contains this very interesting debate between a new atheist uh, uh, strand within the movement personified by Plitur and by Hermann Philipser and bolkestein and others who wanted to try and um, bring the Christian tradition into to the discussion, even though I believe he wasn't a Christian uh, or he was not a, a practicing Christian, he he, he saw... The importance of the judeo-christian tradition as a bond for society again is given the move towards secularism in in the general population is is that an idea that has really faded over the last uh you know two decades uh
1: well i think that 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 um Appeals to, to Judeo-Christian culture uh, are still uh, very uh, common and they can even be combined with uh, appeals to, to secular uh, Western identities. We are now seeing it in France uh, in the, the recent uh, controversy around Islam and, and uh, the uh, purported support of the left for Islam. Uh, where uh, I, I think some uh, politician now has has uh, proposed uh, to change the French constitution and to mention that uh, French secularism uh, developed out of Judeo-Christian culture. Um, so uh, it, it's really uh, it's it's not about saying that uh, we are Christian per se, but it's it's very much about defining the core of national identity as uh, something that is exclusive to Islam. And, and this, this has been a very prominent debate in the Netherlands is whether to, um, um, whether to choose for a more Christian notion of identity or to, to have uh, a more secular idea of, of Dutch identity and to argue that Western civilization, because of its secularism, uh, is superior to cultures uh, that are still religious. And I think, of course, that's, uh, that secularism uh, has become uh, such a, a prominent factor in identity politics. Um, is very much a European phenomenon, I think you would see in, mm. in the US, uh, where there is uh, a large uh, Christian majority that... Um, and that this appeal to Christian values uh, is still very much there.
0: Mm. Yeah, and you are very critical of the argument made by uh, Cliteur and taken on with much more media impact by Ian uh, Hisiali Ali that, um, quote, you say, enlisted universalism and the enlightenment in the service of a patriotic discourse of cultural superiority and conflict. Uh, when I read that, I... I wanted to ask you the question um, do you think there is a way to make the same argument one that social liberals generally would hold very strongly including social liberals from inside the Muslim community that doesn't imply cultural superiority do you think there is a way of doing that in a a more sensitive way
1: Uh, yeah I I think that that is very much possible I I was inspired by by reading Saila ben and in in her book on the claims of culture, uh, where she argues that true universalism would be something that transcends cultures. So uh, if you want to defend enlightenment values or um, to defend women's emancipation, um, it's uh, it's problematic to uh, restrict that to one particular culture Mm-hmm. Uh, because those cultures are not homogenous uh, uh, anyway. So if you look at Dutch culture, there are still uh, significant right-wing minorities that oppose uh, gay marriage uh, and that uh, oppose uh, feminism. Um, so it's not uh, that Dutch culture in itself is uh, enlightened and emancipated. Um, so what sayla ben argues is that we need to... Um, to be very critical of this culturalization of um, universal values and, and to really uh, have a more complex view of culture as uh, as overlapping and heterogeneous. And then you could also say, well, there are kind of uh, enlightened uh, minority traditions within uh, Islam or within Muslim mm. countries. Uh, and there are tendencies towards emancipation one could connect to. And then you have a very different project than uh, simply arguing that the West is is superior and enlightened uh, and uh, Islamic cultures are not.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a similar um, argument that was made by Majid Nawaz in his his debates with um, Sam Harris, for example. And, and you, as you point out in your chapter on Ayaan Hirsi Ali, you 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 say that her you know underlying her view is that um, the Quran itself contains uh, lessons that means that n- liberalism can, can cannot come from within the within the faith or cannot be married to the faith whereas you know uh, one, one could argue that all the Abrahamic uh, <laughs> holy books contain, uh, things that are not exactly socially liberal and, and yet modern secular uh, culture um, has, has managed to get through that over time.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that there is a, a, a kind of an irony in, in um, the argument. At the, and, on the one hand, uh, there's the argument on the, on the right that uh, secularism um, developed out of Judeo-Christian culture uh, and at the same time, uh, there is the argument that uh, secularism could never develop out of Islam because it's uh, inherently anti-secular. So there's this very, uh, when, when looking at uh, the Christian religion or, or Jewish religion, there is this notion that it's uh, a dynamic uh, cultural uh, artifact or something that develops over time. Uh, whereas our vision of Islam is very static, uh, and and uh, it's seen as something that is internally stuck in the past, uh, and, and of course Edward Seed has has really shown how prevalent this discourse is uh, in his book on Orientalism. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, another point you you have is this. Um Argument made by uh, uh, bartian Sprouts, which I, I think was a very sophisticated argument. Actually, um, because obviously, when one reads books about modern, con- what we call modern conservatism, it, that move, that move, that movement comes across actually as very radical, and you start to wonder whether the word conservative is the right word for it. But he has this synthesis of. The idea, he says, quote, um, liberalism has brought the world great achievements, but a recourse to conservative principles is needed to safeguard those, uh, those achievements. Is, is that, I mean, I thought it was a very clever argument, but is, is it one that actually prevailed through the Dutch new right? Or is a figure like that quite isolated and quite um, uh, a lot more sophisticated than, than the majority of the movement?
1: Um, Well, I think that that Bart-Jan Spruit, for a moment, was uh, very much, uh, very influential. He was also an advisor of the Christian Democrat Party uh, informally then. Um, And uh, he uh, started this think tank in the early 2000s, uh, the Edmund Burke Foundation, Mm. Um, and that foundation was actually funded by Pfizer and Microsoft and was somewhat modeled on the American conservative think tanks Uh, but it was hugely influential um, and had some success in um, uh, mobilizing conservative sentiment in the mainstream parties Um, but I think that that, uh, when Geert Wilders moved towards this more tactical uh, welfare chauvinist approach Mm. Uh, that uh, yeah, he really lost a lot of his influence, and and Bilders was never really that interested in in the broader intellectual background of of conservatism. He was a, a very he's a very tactical politician. Uh, uh, Bartjan sprout later uh, has very has invested his hopes in in, in Jerry Baudet, um, mm. who was politically formed. Um, by reading uh, the text of bart and the and the Edmund Burke Foundation. He, w- he went to kind of the summer school of the Edmund Burke Foundation. That that was his uh, the beginning of his political career. Um, but uh, Thierry Baudet, uh, who, who has really published a series of books on conservatism and, and has tried to uh, make those ideas much more mainstream in Dutch politics, um, but recently, he's he has self-marginalized himself
0: uh. <laughs> um,
1: by pursuing a sort of Trumpian politics uh, on on the coronavirus and by uh, flirting with with extreme right ideas and and uh, with the alt right in the United States uh, and with with some anti-Semitic ideas and this has really Made his politics unpalatable to uh, a larger segment of, of the Dutch electorate.
0: What do you think happened there? I mean, did did the did the media attention go to his head? Because what he 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 does seem to have engaged in a, an act of self sabotage, really, uh, over the last two years.
1: Yeah, it, it's very difficult to, to get into the mind of, of Baudet, but he's always been someone uh, that was very much driven by ideas. Um, and uh, this is also part of his image, a dandy, an intellectual, uh, someone that uh, can quote high theory in, in political speeches. Uh, but from the beginning, he was interested in thinkers uh, such as Oswald uh, Spengler and um, uh, and 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 other kind of uh, French and, and German radical right uh, or far right thinkers from the, from let's say the interbellum period and um, yeah that he I think he he's really gone down the rabbit hole in that sense that he he has become really fascinated uh, by that entire milieu that is now. Being created on the internet by the alt-right uh, mm. and uh, has been retweeting conspiracy theories um, uh, and, and the, the replacement theory, uh, Le Grand Remplacement, uh, a theory promoted by uh, the French far-right, that there is a, a kind of a plot mm. to uh, replace the white European population uh, with Muslim immigrants. Um, and yeah, it's really gone to his head, I would say. I think it also has to do with the, the massive success uh, he has had, especially in, in, the, in the the elections uh, for for the Senate, mm-hmm. um, where he, his party emerged as the biggest party. Uh, so that could also be uh, an explanation that, that the success has really, uh, led to a, a boost in his ego that was already um, uh, very much established.
0: It it does suggest though that the the long term successful position to be in if you're on the right in the Netherlands is either to take the welfare chauvinist view that that Wilders has taken, or to or to have a sort of broadly liberal approach, which I guess is broadly the the approach that the the the, the Mark Rutter's BVd has taken and that, and that there really isn't much space for anyone else is that right and 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 if if it is right where do where do the neoliberal intellectuals go do they do they go with wilders and his in inverted commas uh left economics or do they go with Rutter and his in inverted commas right economics
1: yeah, I think that I mean, the the day on, on economics is, is of course, a, a much more powerful actor than Geert Wilders, who, who mm. um, is really specialized on, on the cultural issues. And, and then, when Wilders confronts uh, an economic issue, he, he also tends to culturalize it. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, when looking at the European Union, uh, it's it's uh, he will highlight the cultural oppositions between the north and the south or or uh, so that those are the issues that he is comfortable with um, and uh within the the Vfede, the fa has always been the the main promoter of uh let's say more and more free market thought in the netherlands uh, but right now due to the corona pandemic uh, we see a a a very fundamental shift uh, taking place in Dutch politics and we see that elsewhere too. Uh, I think you can compare it somewhat with um, uh, the shift taking place under Johnson in in the UK Mm -hmm. uh, where you see that Johnson is now uh, promoting an investment agenda and wants to somehow uh, um, undo the deprivation in in, in small town uh, or, or like Isolated areas uh, of Great Britain uh, and promote heavily uh, invest heavily in infrastructure, and uh, the everyday in the Netherlands is is also um, yeah shifting from uh, the promotion of austerity uh, to uh, a, a view that that really the state should become more activist uh, should take a stance against uh, the power of um, very large multinational corporations that tend to abuse their market power. Um, there should be, uh, social security should become somewhat more extensive. Uh, so we see on, on, on different terrains that they have really shifted their socioeconomic position. We don't know whether this is uh, going to be uh, something permanent or whether this is just uh, something that is, is due to the Corona pandemic, and that will stop once the recovery uh, from the pandemic is finished. Uh, but it it leaves the 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 new liberals or, or free market thinkers uh, somewhat isolated at the present moment.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one of the themes of the book uh, that comes up repeatedly is is the attempt by um, intellectuals, uh, mostly from inside the VVD, to try and Find a synthesis that would allow them to create a big movement of of the right, including the Christian Democrats, the right of the PVDA. Uh, but that that dream looks as though it's over. And in fact, if you look at Mark Rutte's behaviour, he he seems to give the impression he'd he'd rather, if he could, create a a, a big social liberalism, including the. Uh, the centre and the left of the VVD, including D sixty six, and and the right of the PVDA, um, and and at the same time the the far right vote seems to be basically stuck around thirty seats in in the lower house. How do you see this working out over time?
1: I think what the, the VVD is now doing, uh, it has a, a, a corona bump, so to say. So and mm-hmm. you see this everywhere. There's this rally around the flag effect that uh, electorates are, are more supportive of uh, their leaders um, during the, the time of the corona pandemic. And, uh, and that's why the VVD is, is now by far uh, the biggest party in the polls. Uh, and there's a big chance this, this will um, uh, hold up. Uh, until the elections um, and I think it's now trying to govern from the center uh, and to become a, a centrist party uh, it used to be the, the Christian Democrats who were the, the powerhouse in Dutch politics dominating the, the center and whatever party wanted to govern had to govern through them uh, that position uh, uh, has 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 now, uh, shifted to to the fifth day um, and um, I think they want to become a more of a, a catch-all party that can uh, unite larger parts of the electorate yeah. and that means that that uh, well they, they are they have uh, still a, a welfare chauvinist position uh, if you look at the their agenda on, on immigration or uh, even on on uh, human rights treaties uh, or development aid. Uh, they have a very, uh, very hard uh, nationalist stance uh, on, on those issues. So I think that the welfare chauvinism uh, will continue, but uh, socioeconomically, um, I think a centrist politics uh, will dominate in the coming years, and uh, I don't know whether uh, Geert Wilders uh, will be able to to benefit from the new oppositions uh, that that will emerge uh, in 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 the politics that is to come. I think that uh, climate change will become a major uh, issue, and opposition to climate change uh, policy uh, will uh, really could benefit a, a populist right, um, and I think Geert Wilders and, and less. Jerry about that because he he has um, really marginalized themselves, but Geert Wilders will very much be able
0: to benefit from that. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on. I mean, are you um, are you working on another book after this one?
1: You uh, were now. Uh, I'm I'm writing with a colleague uh, uh, a book on uh, the history of free market thought in the Netherlands, uh, Uh starting really in in the the 1940s and and uh, moving from that period till uh, the 1990s. And uh, that's a yeah, that's a it's going to be published uh, in the beginning of next year. So uh, we're very much uh, busy uh, writing that at the present moment. Would
0: that be in Dutch or English?
1: That would be uh, in Dutch, and, and we're um, we're right now kind of writing the uh, funding proposals to be able to also uh, publish an English language uh, uh, monograph on on the rise of the, on the Dutch neoliberal turn, basically.
0: Right. Okay. And um, since this is the New Books Network, and I always ask guests to recommend a book, not necessarily new, to uh, to listeners, what have you chosen?
1: Yeah, I wanted to uh, recommend uh, Melinda Cooper uh, and her book uh, Family Values uh, Between Neoliberalism and the New Social Conservatism oh. and uh, I mean, and it's a really well-crafted combination of uh, intellectual history uh, and, and policy analysis and, and it's making some very fundamental sociological claims, uh, so I it's a really fascinating read, but what she, her basic argument is that, uh, well, neoliberalism has always been associated with uh, the homo economicus and, and uh, with uh, a kind of immoral uh, individualism. Um, and she in fact shows that uh, within the models of much of the the free market economists, Chicago school economists, and, um, uh, these models don't depart from uh, the individual, but rather from the family. Uh, and there's always has always been this this uh, culturally conservative sentiment uh, under uh, within uh, the publications of these uh, free market economists. Uh, and it's it's that sentiment that has allowed them to build uh, a coalition with the cultural conservatives. Uh, in the United States uh, for me it was really uh, an eye-opener and it's um, uh, yeah I, I began to see very much similar tendencies in, in, in Dutch politics interesting when, when did that come out uh, I think it came out uh, 2019 I
0: think okay uh, I, I interviewed her um, co-authors about the asset economy, but uh, ah, she, yeah. She, yeah, she she wasn't on. <laughs> um, well, today I've been talking to Maureen Oudenhamse about his rise of, of the Dutch new right and intellectual history of the rightward shift in Dutch politics, published in September by Routledge. Maureen, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.